DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. The NFL playoffs getting underway Saturday with a doubleheader, Sunday a tripleheader, the Monday night football game, Cardinals and Rams. And I can't wait for uh, Wednesday when we have the winner of that game talking about how little prep time they have for the next playoff game. But, hey, grab the money. Game's in prime time. PK, we're old enough to remember when there were no playoff games in prime time. And now there are three playoff games in prime time, and two of them are in super cold weather. But you know what? That's where the money is. So forget about the weather. Go get the money. Yeah, I, I do have a hard time forgetting about the weather if it negatively impacts the game substantially. Which the Patriots and Bills could because we already saw a primetime game between these two teams in Buffalo that didn't look like NFL football. You may have found it entertaining, you may not. 50-mile-an-hour gusts? Come it on. It didn't now. look like NFL football. They didn't throw the ball. It looked like NFL football from the 50s. Can't hurt. they come up with a way to put up a bubble? They should probably explore that in Buffalo. You know what I mean? Like they had in the, the bubble and the dome and the silver dome? The Metrodome there in well, Minnesota. Well, you do it like at tennis places. They put up a bubble in the winter. Yeah. You know, or a swimming pool. They put up a bubble in the winter. Retrofit the stadium. Let's make it happen. I, I don't. Is that possible? Is there I have something no idea. they could do? I'm, I don't know. My, my engineering background is really weak. I just don't like it. It's a huge game. It's a big deal. A ton on the line. And I don't like it when the weather just substantially affects the outcome or the course of the game. I think I'm, that's unfortunate. I'm with you. And I don't know that it would have been a lot better if that had been the Sunday 11 a.m. game, which is where they put the Eagles-Buccaneers games. Uh, Bu- Eagles-Buccaneer game. Uh, why those two couldn't flip-flop, I'll never know, but they couldn't, apparently. I mean, the cold is cold, and it's going to be cold. We understand that. It's cold in most of the country in January, so I can live with that. But I'm talking about the other elements of the, we- of the weather. I want to see these phenomenal athletes play at a phenomenal level. I want to see Josh Allen throw the ball. I don't want to see him have to hand off 60 times because nobody can throw the ball. And that may be what we're signing up for. We'll find out Saturday night. I know. Uh, The other NFL story, uh, David Coley has been fired after one season in Houston. Now, we were just talking about how five-year plans have turned into three-year plans, and now a lot of coaches are getting fired after two years, and now we have a guy fired after one year when we knew the starting quarterback wasn't going to play. And they got to 4-13. and 13. I don't know what they expected. We're not there every day to see how it works. But what did you hire this guy for? What do you, well, the, I mean, if you fire somebody after a year, did you hire the right person? No. Why no, that's, you on, know? that's on you. Yes. Yeah, that, that's so stupid. I mean, obviously, Urban got fired less than a year. Uh, so, but the, I guess there was extenuating circumstances, at least publicly. Yeah, but how in the world was uh, Houston set up to win any more than they did. I mean, come on. Somebody who works his whole life for this opportunity and then barely does it. Although sometimes, you know, I guess it, it's the right thing to do because if you look at uh, Arizona, they did the same thing. I can't remember the guy's name, but he only got one year before they brought in uh, Kingsbury. Of course, then folks will say, well, that's what happens to African-Americans. They only get one season. They don't get enough opportunity. And for those who want to bang that drum, I mean, they certainly have evidence. Yeah, it's not just there. It's Miami, too, where they let Coach go after two years, and they seem to be trending in the right direction. They had a young quarterback. It was a terrible start. The team could have quit on him. At 1-7, and seven, in pro sports, if you quit on the coach, that wouldn't be surprising. And they didn't. They won seven in a row. And I know they didn't be great competition, but 
They, since when have the Dolphins been able to turn up their nose at getting to the middle of the NFL? I mean, it's been a long time since the Dolphins were great and they were routinely in the top third. And we're 25 years removed from that. Turn up their nose. That's Turn up their nose. A weird phrase. <laughs> probably never, or probably not for a long time anyway. And I was listening to a show, one of the shows yesterday, the national to- show's talking about this. Tomlin's the only African-American coach in the NFL now. Houston and well, Miami. Well, certainly they'll be... Pr- yeah, and, and there's eight jobs open, so that can change. But of the 24 jobs oh. that currently have a head coach, Tomlin's the only African-American. And the NFL's got an issue. I mean, there's no way around it. That's a problem. Yeah, the Jets guy's minority. Uh, but uh, going forward, I, I would think that, that they have a PR issue. Uh, so I would think they would correct that. I mean, Biennemi seems to be next in line, and there's probably some other dudes I don't even know about that are interviewing for it. I know Marvin Lewis wants back in. Yeah. Well, and Flores and Miami could end up back in because I think this league-wide, and there's been more time to react to that than to this, and the reaction has just been widespread. What are the Dolphins doing? And so that makes me think Flores could land into the job. So we'll see how this plays out. There's eight jobs to, to fill. Coming up next, we're talking college football. We're talking Pac-12 with the commissioner, George Klyovkov. He joins us next right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. This is Jake Scott and Ben Anderson. I think the Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers are the two really good teams. In fact, I'm probably changing my Super Bowl pick to mirror what uh, Sam Farnsworth from KSL. That's his pick. I'm probably going to copy that pick now. Never going to pick slash root for the Chiefs. You don't have to pick. You don't have to root for them, but you can pick them. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Here, Jake Scott and Ben Anderson every day from 10 to noon on 97.5, 1280 The Zone, powered by kslsports.com. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are joined right now by the Pac-12 Commissioner, George Klyavkov. Commissioner, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. You've done a lot of these interviews. You talked to a lot of people. You came through town and did a, uh, a tour and met with a lot of media up at the University of Utah when you're here. You've done that in other towns. So a lot of these questions go towards, you know, what's wrong with the Pac-12 and how can it be fixed and how can the reputation be upgraded? And before we get into all of that, and we will, I'm curious how much of what has gone wrong, what needs to be fixed, can be done by the Pac-12 commissioner and the conference office, and what percentage is on the schools? Because obviously the TV contract matters, and that's not something a coach can control, but obviously hiring good coaches, assistant coaches, and, and bringing in talented recruits is not on the conference office. So what is the, the balance here? How much of this is on your plate? Yeah, listen, I think it's, it's probably 80-20, probably 80% of the, uh, the decisions that lead to football success. Uh, happen on the campus and not at the conference. But the 20% is an important 20%, right? We, we have to be better about providing a better platform when we renegotiate our media rights. And, and that's related to revenue. It's related to distribution. It's related to competitive advantage, deciding who gets to play at what time of the day for, you know, for highlighting for AP voters uh, and CFP voters on the East Coast. So we, we have a lot of work to do, but uh, the, the, the larger input to football success comes on the campus for sure. Commissioner, at least publicly, there seems to be a reluctance to want to come up with a format to expand the playoff. How much of that do you think is self-serving in terms of the conferences looking out for themselves and aren't really interested in going beyond what's best for them individually? 
I think everybody's trying to balance what's right for themselves and their conference with what's uh, right for college athletics and college football. And it's a difficult balancing act. And I think, you know, in the past, uh, folks have had the opportunity to kind of work through these issues in private and, you know, make the kind of accommodations for each other that are required to get to a yes. And I think the mistake that we made in this process was we announced in June, you know, the month before I started, a uh, proposal that came out of a subcommittee, which were four of the 11 members that have to say yes to change the format within the current term. And it was announced the same day that the other seven got to see it for the first time. And I think in the past, what has happened is all of these really difficult discussions that have been going through the last seven months have happened privately, not in the press. <laughs> and, and then once you come to a solution, you announce it and everybody is delighted. I think we've misset the fans' expectations back in June, but this is a process that, I, uh, that has happened from what I've, I've, has been shared with me by the other commissioners every single time we've done this, right? There's a negotiation, you get to the right answer, it takes time. Uh, this time we just happen to be doing it in the press, which I think is, is, a, is a bad idea and I hope we don't do it again. Certainly an expanded playoff would bring in more money. Nobody doubts that, and that alone will probably ensure that it happens one day sooner, not later. But the whole competitive aspect of college football, I don't know that that changes, and I don't know that league's reputations change. Alabama and Georgia won semifinal games in blowouts, and most of the playoff semifinals since we went to a four-team tournament here have been blowouts. So putting in... Teams 5 through 12 seems to say, well, we're going to have some more lopsided games. How will that change the Pac-12's image? Will it be, you know, if you, if you can't win those games and you're going out early or getting blown out by whoever is as good as Alabama or Georgia, it's going to be like the basketball tournament where there's some level of satisfaction in saying we were Sweet 16 or we are Elite 8 or we were Final Four. How's that going to work? Well, I, I think basketball is actually a really good analogy for why it will work uh, once you expand CFP. I think the you know the issue with a four-team playoff is if you were good in one of the early years of the four-team playoff, it becomes a lot easier to recruit five and four-star athletes and to get back there again. And I think you see that as kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Because the teams that were good in the early years of the CFP got – uh, higher recruited players, they were able to get back. And now the vast majority of the CFP invitations have gone to four or five schools. And if we would have had a similar kind of structure in basketball, I think you would have never seen a team like Gonzaga be able to get into that mix. Right? It was the fact that you had 64 and then 68 teams uh, in the mix for basketball that allowed kids who wanted to go to Gonzaga to say, you know, I will get to play in my championship. I may not be the top four, the top eight team, you know, on the first or second line of the NCAA tournament when I get in, but at least I'm going to be playing in the tournament. And that allowed them to, over time, build a program, which is now a top 10 program. And I think that's what happens. I think when you have more access, uh, kids are broader in how they think about where I can go to school and still participate for a national championship. And then it takes time, but that over time allows for a much more democratic spread of the talent across college football. 
Uh, Commissioner, that leads me right into my next question. I have to say, I must applaud you first on being willing to address the realities rather than just basically blow smoke over them. And you've been great. And I was at the Pac-12 title game and you were downstairs giving the press conference and you spoke openly about keeping kids that are growing up into the Pac-12 communities local and rather than having to go out. I, I'm, a, I'm a Phoenix kid myself, went to Arizona State, and I can recite all the kids who've left. I mean, they just get nobody, basically. Keely Ringo, who makes the interception for Georgia to seal it, goes to Saguaro, which is right there in the Phoenix area, coached by a coach who has legendary ASU roots, the defensive coordinator. He and his brothers played at ASU, and ne- nevertheless, the kid goes to Georgia. I can't blame them, but you spoke openly about how we have to fix that. Now, my thought for you is we all agree something has to be done, but what are the tangible things that can be done to prevent this from happening? Because so much of the talent, I just use Arizona because that's a local example. Bryce Young, who threw the pass, is from Pasadena. Obviously, California is a massive amount of talent. What can be done at the conference level and the individual level to prevent this from happening? And it's such a wide widespread rate that it is yeah we have we have so much talent in our footprint uh, you know the the starting quarterbacks at the beginning of the season at alabama and georgia and ohio state and clemson clemson um, were, you know and oklahoma we're all from our footprint right it, yep. it, it, yes. it, it can't happen so listen there's there's two ways to i think tur- turn the tide of recruiting well, one is by taking shortcuts and the other is by making investments and our, our league is not about taking shortcuts. I mean, we just don't do that. Um, so we have to focus on investments. And I think those investments come in many different forms, but, but, but let's look at two of them, right? Facilities and coaching hires. And I think you've seen in the past couple of years, and particularly in, the, in this past couple of months, significant um, investments in our football program. So obviously, yeah, you guys are very familiar with um, the, the beautiful remodel at Rice-Eccles and all the money that was put into that to, to make that the stadium it is today. You know, Oregon State pressed the button and exploded the west side of their stadium uh, last week, and they're rebuilding that with $90 million in private funds. Well, Oregon announced in uh, October, I believe it was, uh, a 170,000-square-foot football practice facility. It'll be the greatest practice facility in the country. Um, you saw the investment in coaches, Washington State, Washington, Oregon, right, the defensive coordinator from Georgia, who, whose team gave up, I think it was, you know, something like 13 passing and rushing touchdowns in 15 games this year. And he's now going to be the head coach at Oregon. Obviously, Lincoln Riley at USC. I mean, there are big investments in football going on across our, our footprint, and that's what's going to get the kids to want to come. And you've already seen five-star kids that had previously committed elsewhere recommit to Pac-12 schools. You've seen kids that were considering other places now in the transfer portal coming back to us. And I think that's going to continue. And I think the investment by one school, I mean, USC and Lincoln Riley is a great example. I think the investment by USC and Lincoln Riley and his coaching staff will have benefits not just for USC, but for, for all of our schools. I think it, uh, you know, kind of the tide that rises all boats. Well, you can talk shortcuts and you can talk investments. Uh, when you say shortcuts, I immediately think of schools cheating and kids getting paid. And PK and I have been doing this for a long time, and we've heard specific stories about 
people getting 50, 75, 100 grand. And, and coaches off camera, off mic, just laying out who got what. One coach telling us a player who's now in the NBA getting 25 grand for home visits. Just to be, say you're one of the finalists, 25 grand. And they tell us in a way, think, well, this is going on. Now, name, image, and likeness brings all this above board and into the sunlight. And I don't consider name, image, and likeness a shortcut. Maybe you do, and you could expand on that. But I think the conference is going to have to expand on that. Not only a lot of, of, of possibilities for star players, but stuff that's spread all across the roster for everybody so the players who are developing stay at these schools two or three years and develop. Man, that, yeah, there's 50 ways to go with that question. Go any way you'd like. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, as a, as a conference, we're in favor of name, image, and likeness, right? It never made sense to me that if you were a music scholarship student, you could have a YouTube channel and make money off of your name, image, and likeness. But if you did that as a college athlete, you'd lose your eligibility. That just doesn't make sense. There have to be some guardrails. And the guardrails that I think everybody agrees on is that name, image, and likeness the amount you get paid has to be tied to actual work you do and the use of your name, image, and likeness. And it can't be used for inducement or pay for play, right? It can't be used as a payment to go to one school over another school or, or to play in the games. And we're seeing that happening. And it, it's so bad that you saw, you know, both Nick Saban and Kirby Smart before the national championship game in their press conferences, particularly call out what a problem and an issue this is for college football. And, uh, you know, the, the problem is that there's no national legislation. We have a patchwork of state laws that differ from state to state. The NCAA has um, not done any enforcement here. And they basically said, if you comply with your state law, you won't lose your eligibility of your student athlete. And by the way, if you're in a state that has no state law, you can do anything you want in name, image, and likeness and not lose your eligibility. So in some respects, it's better to be in a state that has no state law because, you know, you, you're just you can do whatever you want. And until we have federal legislation or national enforcement of no inducement and no pay for play, uh, it's the Wild West. And the stories that you've heard, I hear every day. Uh, I know what's happening. Uh, I've talked to the other A5 commissioners about how we can work together to try and solve that issue. Um, but I think we're stuck with it until we get some federal legislation or national enforcement. So are the late start times just a fact of life, given the fact of where we are in the country and we're in the West and mountain and time, a specific time zone? And can we do anything about it? Yeah, one of, one of the greatest strengths as a conference is, uh, unlike the other Power Five conferences, we don't have geographic competition as a Power Five. You know, we have all of the Power Five schools in the Mountain and Pacific time zones. That's going to be true until BYU joins the Big 12. Um, so that provides a unique opportunity. If you're a television network, you want to program primetime West Coast games uh, that are Power Five games. And the Pac-12 is your only alternative to provide those quality games in that time uh, kind of frame. And for us, what that means is we get paid more to play a game at you know 7 or 8 p.m. West Coast than if we played that same game earlier in the day. And the, the revenue is important, but we have to balance that revenue against competitive advantage and against national exposure. Obviously, if 75% of the population that lives in the central uh, and eastern time zone is 
asleep by halftime, that's not good for Heisman voting. It's not good for CFP or AP voting. It's not good for, um, you know, just the, the popularity of our schools and the brand building we need to do. So there are creative ways to trade that off. In our next media rights deal, if I had to guess, we would agree to play those games, but I think we'd want a little bit more control over which teams are playing in those games during what part of the season, because right now we have no control. ESPN and Fox, who are our great partners, have the right to basically tell us, sometimes with six days notice or 13 days notice, these are the teams we want to play in that late game. And... You know, it ends up obviously being our best teams, and those are the teams that we want to be able to highlight nationally, or those are the players who are eligible for a Heisman Trophy vote that we want to highlight. And, you know, I think historically, you know, David Shaw will tell you, I think he's been public about the fact that he thinks Stanford lost two Heisman Trophies because of those late games. So, you know, we, we have to work on the structure and get a little bit more flexibility, uh, but I don't think we're not going to play those games because they're valuable. Having lived in California, I think they're not only valuable for TV, I think that a large portion of the fan base likes primetime West Coast football. And 8.30 is a little awkward for this time zone, but 7.30 works great if you're in L.A. or San Francisco. So I don't, I don't think you can completely run from that. I wonder if you can get a balance where your two best teams or the Heisman candidates are playing in the second or third TV window uh, two games that probably feature the middle of the league are in the late night window unopposed, and two games are on the Pac-12 network, and they probably involve teams that aren't going to be bowl eligible or teams that are last in their division, that kind of stuff. Is, is that kind of balance, are you going to be capable of getting that kind of deal? Yeah, again, everything's a trade-off, right? If, if you're willing to accept a little bit less revenue, the networks will give you a little bit more flexibility. And the great news is there are partners. They want our league to be successful, and they understand those challenges. So we'll work on that as part of the media rights negotiation. I will say that um, you know playing in primetime for a television audience is great. I do hear, and I think it's a real concern from some of our schools, that it's difficult for fan attendance and for building kind of a family tradition of, you know, the kids yeah. come into the games their entire childhood when, when you have those late games. And that's particularly true for some of our schools where more of their fan base, you know, it, you got to drive 90 minutes from Portland to get to Corvallis. And, you know, that, that, that's an issue. And when the game ends at 1030 or 11, you know, that, that, that's, that's different than if the game ends, you know, late afternoon. So it's all a balance. We'll, we'll work through all of these. I mean, the, the great news about all of this is uh, the athletic directors, the presidents and chancellors who make up my board and are my bosses uh, and the conference office are all 100% aligned in what we're trying to achieve and will be collaborative about figuring out solutions. With this alliance that has been created, as far as scheduling for football, what is your idea and what would you like to see be implemented and when as far as the non-conference scheduling, given the alliance or maybe even beyond that? Well, you know, when I joined college athletics seven months ago, I joined with very little collegiate athletic experience. And I was always a fan, uh, but there are things that just never made sense to me. So, the, you know, the top of that list, it's a long list, but the top of that list about what doesn't make sense in college athletics is that we schedule co- college football games, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ahead of time. 
right? Like, Utah has a home and away series with LSU in 2031 and 2032. How does that make sense? So uh, the, the thought is, how do you make sure that you have teams to play that are quality teams that will lead to, you know, kind of great, great matchups if, if you don't actually go and schedule those games and contract those games way in advance, particularly if everyone else is doing it, what teams are going to be left to play? So Nirvana, North Star for football scheduling for the Alliance is each of the three conferences eventually, and again, consistent with existing contractual obligations and consistent with the need to include the media partners in figuring this out, eventually we each get to a place where we've agreed to play eight conference games and one game against each of the other conferences every year. So Pac-12 teams would have eight conference Pac-12 games, one game against the ACC, one game against the Big Ten. One of them, those games would be home, the other would be away. That would switch from year to year. Uh, games 11 and 12, the athletic director and the football coach can schedule. They can make sure they have seven home games. They can make sure they have two games that are you know, not power five games, if that's what, if that's what they want. Um, and the amazing part, if our 12 teams know that they've got 12 games against the Big Ten and 12 games against the ACC, is you don't have to schedule those years in advance. You wait till the end of the previous season, you look at matchups for next season, and you schedule those matchups. And it allows you to be much more dynamic about creating great product. You can, if, if two brothers are playing on, on different teams in different leagues, you can match up those two teams. If there's a great bowl matchup that you know goes into triple overtime and you want to have a rematch of that bowl the following season, you can do that. You can really do made for television. The other thing that you could achieve is that one of the coaches say says, Hey, I'm you know, I'm I'm trying to recruit a kid in Michigan. I want to play, you know, in, in the state of Michigan next year. You, you can to some extent make those kind of things happen. So Again, I just, I just think there's lots of examples of this. For me, the, the best example, I, I was an ACC kid. I was a Virginia guy. I, I remember the excitement of the ACC Big Ten Basketball Challenge where the announcement about who you were going to play came out you know, a couple months before, not years before. And we, we can achieve that same thing in football, I think. Um, lots of hurdles to get there. It'll be several years, but I think eventually we'll get there. George Klavkov joining us, Pac-12 commissioner. One thing that would help more exposure with the league is if there were more networks and more TV windows. Part of the alliance and the scheduling out the championship is to uh, create uh, championship opportunities for other networks. Is CBS going to get into college football? And not just with the one window they have with the SEC, but when that deals up, will they be televising two or three games every Saturday? Because obviously that would open some opportunities for the Pac-12. Yeah, I don't want to talk about any specific networks um, because we've talked to all of them and I don't want to disclose any, anything you know, that, that's confidential. What I will tell you is in a world where less and less people are getting their video product on um, the satellite and cable every year and where you know, over-the-top the direct-to-consumer services are popping up every day and competing against each other uh, for, for subscribers and where – you know, every piece of glass connected to the internet is now a device where you can watch, you know, a game. Um, there are, you know, a lot of folks who want the content that we have to sell. And when our media rights come up for renegotiation, we're going to have multiple bidders for every tier of our rights. 
because it's such a valuable product. There's no more valuable video product than live sports. It, it attracts the right demographic, by the way, particularly Pac-12. Uh, our, our alumni uh, are higher net earners than you know, kind of any other group. Uh, it, 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 it allows you to run commercials that are more valuable because it's live. People are less likely to fast forward through commercials. They're watching that programming live and they see the commercials. It aggregates large audiences, right? More than 90 of the top 100 watch television programs last year were sporting events. Um, so it, everything about it uh, indicates that it's the most valuable programming and it's programming that is generally sold somewhat exclusively uh, for, for the tier one product. So we're, we're gonna have a line of people um, wanting to buy the product and it's gonna include lots of television networks, not, not just our existing partners. I believe before you took this job, Commissioner, that you did extreme deep diligence and did deep dives on everything. And you had certain things that you felt like had to have happened in order for you to say yes, because you knew full well of all the issues that you were getting into. I mean, it, and it went crazy as you've, you've spoken on Twitter, you know, within what days you had the Big 12 with the two teams leaving to the SEC. And now you probably couldn't have predicted that maybe. But I'm wondering for you, as far as the financial investment, because I've been looking and reading other interviews that you do. I spent 23 years in newspapers, so I always scour the internet every day as far as that goes. And I saw some interviews that you did in terms of wanting the presidents and chancellors to make that financial commitment necessary. Did you have that set up that, okay, if I take this job, these are the things that I need you to do? You understand what I'm saying? Sort of be in it to win it, so to speak. Well, what I, what I would say is um, during the interview process, uh, I was so sure I wasn't getting the job that I, I thought I could be incredibly transparent with the presidents and chancellors who were interviewing me, right? And I kind of laid it all on the line. And I said, listen, I, you know, we're the, we're the conference of champions. You know, we've won more NCAA titles in 54 of the last 60 years and each, each of the last 16 years than any other conference. And that's great. But the economic engine that drives college athletics and allows us to invest in all of those other sports is, you know, 70 percent football, 30 percent men's basketball. And um, we have not won a uh, championship in those two sports in 17 years. And I think in order to be successful in everything we do and to continue to support thousands of student athletes and give away all these scholarships and build the facilities that support all these other uh, Olympic sports and uh, we, we need to be good in those two sports and I, I didn't have the answers and I'm not sure I have all of the answers yet but I, I certainly said that to the presidents and chancellors when I were, was interviewing and they all agreed and for me I wasn't asking for specific financial commitments or but, but just the ethos in the room was yeah like we have to be good in those two sports and it will be a building process, right? It, 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 it's a long climb out of the valley that we're in, but we'll get there. And there's a, there's a certain cyclical nature of this stuff, but, but it is 17 years. And, um, you know, they, they were all aligned with that as part of the priorities that I was saying I would bring to the conference. And when I was announced in May, again, two, two and a half months before I actually took the job, it, it was one of the four kind of pillar priorities for the league to be good in football and good in men's basketball. And I wouldn't have said that if I didn't think the presidents were aligned with me. 
George Plavkov, Pac-12 commissioner, joining us. Uh, the Pac-12 basketball tournament, they've tried L.A. and they've tried Las Vegas, and I think everybody thinks Las Vegas is better. The football game just drew over 50,000 in Vegas. L.A.'s got a brand-new stadium, and you're playing in the bowl game in there. Oregon State was there year one against Utah State. At some point, do you need to try L.A., or do you think the Pac-12 title game is a Vegas event and it, it needs to stay in Vegas and grow? Well, we, we have another year on our existing deal to play at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Yeah, I, I was kind of on the other side of that deal because my previous job at MGM Resorts in Vegas, we, we, we helped bring both the basketball tournament and the football championship game to Vegas. And I was you know sitting on the other side of the table for those negotiations. I, I think Vegas is a great spot. But we're not counting out any other opportunities. SoFi Stadium is amazing. Uh, you know, the Jimmy Kimmel Los Angeles Bowl was was really fun, uh, and that's a terrific venue. Um, but you know, I, I don't want to like say we're committed one place or another, right? The cities benefit from having us there, and there's a little bit of a bidding opportunity uh, for the conference, and we'll go through that when we're ready to extend to the next set of football championship games and um, we'll certainly look at other places but I, I can't say enough good things about how Allegiant Stadium and the Raiders and Las Vegas have treated us uh, both in basketball and football. What's your good instinct, Commissioner, on the actual parameters of the playoff? My gut instinct is that we're going to expand. My gut instinct is that it's going to be 12. Could, could be 8, although the SEC has very clearly said we're, you know, we're not going, we're not going to vote in favor of eight, only 12. Um, I, you know, I, I think the interesting thing is if you focus on uh, what we need to change it in the current 12-year term, right, that runs through 2025, um, you need unanimous consent of all 11 folks in the room. And that has proven to be really, really difficult. Um, you know, there are other issues, but the format is the big issue. And there's not a single format that has 11 yes votes. Um, if you focus on, well, the contract ends at the end of the current term and in years 13 and beyond, we currently have zero commitment to each other. Like there's, there's, there's no grant of rights. There's, there's, there's no contract beyond year 12. There's nothing. So there's a group a subgroup of that 11 that could say, hey, from year 13 and beyond, we want to have this structure and this format. And then the others who are not part of that conversation or who originally said no to a particular format would have to make a decision about whether or not to join the group. How many need to be in that group and who needs to be in that group, I think is up for debate. Uh, you know, I, would, I consider the Pac-12 to be one of the people that would have to be part of that group. To, to make it, um, you know, a, a legitimate enough playoff that others would have to decide whether or not to join. But, um, you know, that, that's the way to focus. The way to focus is what does it look like beyond year 12? And then once you have that format set up for beyond year 12, since by definition it's going to be more access for everybody, I think it's pretty, pretty easy to say, hey, can we shoehorn that in for years 11 and 12 as well? And people will say yes. But we've been focused for most of the last, you know, seven months on what can we get 11 people to say yes to. And I just think we're at a point where we have to stop having that conversation because it's clear we're not getting there. 
Well, that's some serious power politics to end on right there. I appreciate that. Commissioner, we appreciate you coming on and uh, really laying this all out for all the uh, the Pac-12 fans listening. Thanks for joining us and look forward to having you on somewhere down the road again. We really appreciate it. Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time and your support of Pac-12. Thank you. George Klyavkov, Pac-12 commissioner, joining us right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, PK, we got to go to break here. I know normally we do feedback, but I think today we need to skip it. I think a little reaction to what the commissioner just said. Uh, my immediate reaction is, wow. All right. Uh, we'll get to that coming up next. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Lee's Heating and Air. Lee's Heating and Air. Home to the award-winning line of American Standard Furnaces and Air Conditioners. Call Lee's now for their $59 furnace tune-up special. Or visit them online at leesheatac.com. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Time for the feedback of the day brought to you by Thrive Appliance. Every day is like a holiday sale at Thrive Appliance. Save 40 to 70% off brand name appliances. Thrive is receiving truckloads of new inventory every day. Visit thriveappliance.com to shop their updated inventory. And we're going to start with our feedback to the commissioner, PK, right at the end when he started getting into your question on the the playoff and going forward and gut instinct and laying out how it would play out. I mean, he says it in a really measured tone. He doesn't say it in an aggressive, in-your-face tone. But when he's laying out how it works, and there's billions of dollars at stake, and it's a big old poker game, I mean, he's not blinking. And there's some competition here with some pretty big bullies who don't mind reaching out and taking all the chips from the middle of the table straight out of your favorite Western. <laughs> ESPN and the SEC, they got the cowboy hats pulled low, and they will reach out, and the guns are on the table. I mean, it is high stakes for billions of dollars. When, when they come out with whatever this 6, 12, whatever, however long they sign for this playoff, it's going to be an enormous number. There's a lot of money at stake. And when he lays out, well, if you want to be in, you want to be in. If you don't want to be in, you don't want to be in. Listen, this is what the alliance is really about. And the scheduling, if it works out, that'll be great. That'll be nice. But what is it really about primarily? The Big Ten, the Pac-12, and the ACC are pushing back against the SEC and ESPN. And I expect CBS is going to have at least a doubleheader, if not a tripleheader. And I would expect... And the Big 12 might end up in this. I'm not ruling that out. But I would expect at minimum one Big 10 and one Pac-12 game. Maybe it ends up being you know a Big 10 doubleheader because there's more people in that part of the country trapped in bad weather, watching football, massive schools with massive alumni fan bases. You know They're, they're not the SEC, but they're the only thing that's close. Uh, so it, that, that CBS deal may not be split down the road. But somehow, some way, that's going to work out. And this guy, he's super nice, and it was really nice of him to come on and talk to us for half an hour. But, man, at the end of the day, he's playing for keeps. Yeah, I like the fact that he didn't think he was going to get the job, so he could sort of shoot from the yeah, hip. <laughs> that was funny yeah. and true. You could see why that yeah. would play out that way. Because he had a great job, so it's not like he needed it. And so to go ahead and here's what you guys need to do. And I think what they need to do first is make sure they get an automatic seat at the table because then you can go with these glamour games that he's talking about. Steal some of the thunder away from the uh, SEC. And at minimum, you know, you're not starting those games. If each team is going to play a Big Ten or an ACC game away, it's obviously not going to be at – 
1030 at night back there. So it's going to be earlier. So it can be more in prime time to showcase this. And you don't have to worry about losing and then getting dumped out of your conference. uh, If you lose a conference game and then no longer being in the playoff hunt. So I like what he's envisioning going forward. And I like as far as the individual players, keeping them local, let's invest as much as we can in all that we can do under our control in terms of facilities and whatnot. So we give these kids an opportunity. And then if they get an automatic bid, they know when the conference and you're in, I really think the automatic bid sets them up to possibly not guarantee, but possibly achieve or go in the direction of achieving of what they want to achieve. I read a really interesting piece about a week ago that the key to uh, leveling out the the highest level of college football so that Alabama and Georgia, or in another year LSU or whoever, but that that top team or two, they're pulling down such an outrageous percentage of the top 100 players. And what it isn't going to be is a school taking them down. You know, suddenly Utah has 65 four-star. That's not how it's going to happen. What's going to happen is, and this is to his point about the 12-team playoff and why I think they're angling for it. So if 12 teams are in, then theoretically at least 25, but probably 30 or 35 teams are saying, come here, you could be in. And so now the top 100 teams are spread out and nobody gets 20 of them anymore. If you get five of them, you've had a big year. But Alabama's got seven kids transferring and all four or five stars because they're buried by other four or five stars. And so spreading that talent out, no one school is going to turn into the next Alabama. But if the top 100 kids are spread across 40 schools and everybody's got five of them at most, but maybe just one or two, that then the top of college football will be much more even. And based on who's healthy, who has a strong junior and senior class, those will be the schools that have a big year, and then they'll drop off. Instead of, it's Bama, it's Bama, it's Bama, it's Bama, again and again and again. Yeah, the whole mindset of these top four or five guys, stars I'm talking about, is, okay, do I go to Georgia? Do I go to Alabama? Uh, Do I go to LSU? Uh, maybe Ohio State, throw them in there. But uh, so many of them aren't even considering our schools. And I've been harping on this long before it's become an issue because I've seen the departure of so much talent in the state, my home state of Arizona. And now it's like it's catching on more and more. And because we're seeing the California kids literally go as far away as they can go and still be in the U.S. Well, well you have to c- clearly yeah. on top of that, PK. Yeah. He's clearly on top of what you're talking about because yeah. he just went right through and started listing high-profile schools with quarterbacks from the Pac-12 footprint, and he clearly was not reading off a list, as we might have had guests do in the past. Uh, It was clearly off the top of his head. Right. I mean, we know it. I know it. I've known it for years. And it's it's a pandemic, in a sense, in for the Pac-12 in a negative way. And they've got to change it. They've got to do everything in their power to get away from that and start going in the right direction of keep, because that's where it's going to be. And if you give these kids an opportunity and they've got everything that they need comparably versus the other side of the country, the uh, Southeast, obviously, and then Ohio state and maybe one or two others in other parts of the country, then you have a shot to keep them. And that's what they need to do. And it's become a massive problem. And he's absolutely right. The only reason why Christian McCaffrey did not win the Heisman Trophy his last year in college is because of the lack of exposure relative. I don't even remember who got it, but clearly McCaffrey should have gotten it. He was sensational and he didn't get it. It was an absolute joke. All right, DJ PK, we are out of time. Jake and Ben are next. Have a good weekend. We will see you coming up tomorrow or on Monday. What, Yuck? Rudy Gobert News. Oh, the Rudy Gobert News. Please pass this along. This will excite jazz fans.
Rudy Gobert has apparently cleared COVID protocols. They went one and four with him out, but he's expected to be hopefully available for Sunday. Clearing well, on, uh, yeah. both Rudy's too. Rudy Gay also. So the Jazz starting to get some guys back. And Joe Ingles is back and vowing not to get thrown out. Uh, hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. There are a bunch of hilarious responses to what Joe should I do. Knew. One of them, one of them, PK was he should wear his wife's netball uniform to the next Jazz oh, game. Would, uh, I don't know. It's, oh come on! It's, when they do those walk-in shots into the arena and you're wearing no, whatever, it'd no, be hilarious. No, 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 no. I am not for that whatsoever. <laughs> I have issues with that. Not happening. All right. When we come back, Jake and Benner here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone.